As the world's largest network of remote professionals, we're here to help. Upwork is giving $1 million in talent grants to projects that counter the ongoing impacts of COVID-19. By connecting existing teams with independent experts in tech, creative, and operations to help save lives, to support communities, and rebuild the economy. Go to upwork.com slash work together to learn more. Hello and welcome to the brand new Price of Football podcast with me, Kevin Day and Kieran Maguire, football finance expert at Liverpool University. In each episode, we'll be following the money to find out what's really going on behind the scenes at your club, any club, in a league, a tournament or whatever. And we'll stand and fall by your questions. So anything you want to ask us football finance related, let us know on questions at priceoffootball.com. Now, the reason I wanted to do this pod in particular is that I have a very probably overly romantic view of football and its place at the heart of working class communities. And like most football fans, Kieran, I, I get so energised by financial things. You know, financial fair play rules, transfer fees, agents' fees, mega rich owners, clubs going out of business. And like so many football fans, I don't have the foggiest clue of how the finances actually work. I, you know, I, I'm an international pub lawyer. But even I don't get how things are. But it doesn't stop me arguing and moaning about these things. But this is your world, kid. So tell us a little bit about your background and why you're the ideal person to to talk to an idiot like me about the most important thing in football, unfortunately. Well, I, I sort of fell into this by accident. I was uh, I was doing some training for a, a firm of uh, a firm of bankers who were advising the Glazer family in respect of Manchester United. Now I didn't know that was taking place. Right. Um, so you know, I just do. I just teach anywhere, and on that particular day, the the deal went through in respect of uh, United being acquired by the Glazers. And at about three o'clock, um, all the windows were shuttered. Twelve twelve bouncers appeared on the front gate because they were a fear. They, they they feared that a bunch of Cockney Reds were going to turn out and and put the windows out. Now that didn't manifest itself. Um, the same day, the BBC phoned up the university and said. Manchester United have just been taken over, £700 million. Does anybody have a clue what's going on? And the university just pointed at me huh. to say he, he's, he talks about football all the time in class. Um, so it was purely by accident that that, that uh, arose. And then I was uh, approached by Liverpool to to teach on their football MBA course. I've always found, as, as, a, as a lecturer, that... You know, if I'm talking about Mercedes-Benz or Apple or mm. you know, Marks and Spencers, you know, students are... Yeah, their, yeah, their heads are nodding and they're just they're trying to stay awake. You mentioned Manchester United, you mentioned Liverpool's finances and all of a sudden everybody's energised because I've, I've been fortunate enough to teach in both Manchester and Liverpool, two football mad cities, and I just started t- I bring, bringing more and more football into what I taught and now I just teach. Presumably you, do, you don't tell each city that you're working in the other city as well, just in case. <laughs> well, I, I, try, I try not to, <laughs> try not to. When you started looking at finances of football in some detail, were you... Surprised, horrified, pleasantly gratified that it was in a good state in general. Well, it, it's not in a good state. Uh-huh. It's it's never been in a particularly good state. Um, whilst pe- we all think that the Premier League makes an absolute fortune, only just over half the clubs are making a profit um, in the Premier League. In the Premier League itself, only uh, half. Yeah, um, and then when you drop down into the lower leagues, as soon as you, as soon as you get to the Championship, yeah, the, the, the Championship is an absolutely crazy division. They lost five hundred and eighty million pounds last year um, between the twenty-four clubs. That's why 
that's why there's problems at Bolton. That's that's why so many clubs are close to to going under. I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to say that again, Kieran, because that is an astonishing figure. Not only is that an astonishing figure, but I, I'm given to believe by Sky in particular that the Championship is, you know, that after the Premier League, the, the most successful football brand in the world, the most watched. And you're telling me that how much is owed by across they, the clubs? They, they lost five hundred and eighty million pounds between them. And therefore, if you're losing money, how how are you going to make up those losses? You can either sell your players, but of course, as a fan, you don't want to because you want to see your club get promoted or make the playoffs or avoid relegation, or you rely on the the owners sticking money in. And there's lots of bad club owners, but in the championship, there's lots of guys who are who are sticking in huge sums of money because they're chasing the rainbow. They're chasing the right. fact that the difference between the Premier League and the championship is a hundred million pounds a year in, in terms of telly money. Do you know what I suspect as the weeks go by and we do this pod that I will keep saying to you, I thought what you said last week was the most astonishing thing. And you're going to tell me a different astonishing thing. I seriously am having trouble digesting, even allowing for the fact that, of course, they're all chasing Premier League football. What about... Well, of course, they've not all got parachute payments, but I'm really having trouble digesting that. So that's, But that's across 24 clubs. That's across 24 clubs, yeah. And without naming names, and again, this is something we'll get used to as we do this pod. As I am only a pub lawyer, as I pointed out. There will be legal things. Um, I suspect every now and again people at home will be going, that sounds like an edit. And that will be because I've accidentally said the wrong thing about the wrong person. But without naming clubs, is are, are one or two clubs skewing that figure by being more having lost more than others, or is it pretty across the board? Oh no, no, there, there are there are big losses and, and small losses. So um, you know, the, the clubs which have tried to get promotion in recent years have have lost a lot of money. They've used various devices to uh, get around that. Yeah, I think you might have heard about you know, clubs selling their own grounds to the owners. Yeah, that, that's Derby County. Derby County, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. Aston Villa, yeah. Reading, possibly Birmingham as well, for all we know. So that there's, there's, there's a lot of that taking place. But you can only do that the once. So you've got to be a little bit careful about that. Um, and the other, the, other, the other thing which is nuts about the championship is that for, for every £100 that comes in through the door, and that's from parachute payments, that's from Sky, that's from fans attending, that's from the commercial deals with, with, with all these gambling companies that now dominate, they're spending £107 in wages. So, so before, before, you, before you mow the grass, before you put on the floodlights, before you, before you go and buy the cones, you've already made a loss. Mm. And everybody seems to think that's OK. You've already touched on two issues that I suspect, in again in weeks to come, will be coming back. Um, the Sheffield United case is a very interesting one with the two rival owners. The preponderance of gambling companies sponsoring. And I'm a Palace fan, and our sponsors sponsors two teams in the Premier League, which I always find slightly baffling. Um, and it's a company that you know, you're not entirely sure you'd want associated with with your club, just in terms of their product. Um, but there's a story that dominated the summer uh, that I think horrified all football fans, and I think that's where we should start this, this podcast, really, and, and hope that it doesn't set the tone for podcasts to come. And we're talking about the demise of Berry Now, people ask me why I didn't tweet about this, and I didn't tweet about it in the same way that I don't tweet when somebody I know dies, because I just hope that people assume that I'm beyond angry. People who don't understand football, who look at a purely economic point of view, don't understand what a football club means to the community. They don't understand what it means in terms of not just 
local businesses, but what it means to football fans. And as a Palace fan who twice nearly been out of business, who were hours away from going out, I cried my eyes out when we were saved by the consortium. I'm not ashamed to to say that. Um, so I know what Berry fans would have gone through, but I, I, I was so angry, but at the same time, without being able to articulate what I was angry, I was, I was who I was angry at. Whether I was more angry at the EFL, at the owner of the club. So I, I want to put this to you in, in three parts, okay. if you don't mind. First of all, how did it happen? How did it come about? Secondly, how was it allowed to happen? And thirdly, how do we stop it happening? another club in, in the future because are, there's always been that fear I remember Anna Kirby saying that eventually a club will go under and there will be a domino effect so first of all how did it come about the Berry situation well Berry have had two owners in recent years yeah. um, one of them's called Stuart Day and the other one is called Steve Dale and they're very easy to mix up so we yeah. call them SD1 and SD2 okay. that, that's not normally the best thing to do um, the, the first guy SD1 he he wanted Berry to be a successful club. Now, Berry. I'm sorry to interrupt so early, but you say that as though there are some owners who don't want their club to be successful. Isn't that a given? I, I think there are some owners who are quite happy for the club just to stay where they are, to make ends meet and survive. And, and, it, and, it, is, okay. and it is a fight for survival right. in those lower leagues. Um, and the way he, he tried to, I wouldn't say necessarily buy success, but to to increase the chances of success was he, he actually put money into the club. He, uh, he increased the wage bill um, and Berry, which had made some losses and some profits in recent years, all of a sudden it was losing 50 grand a week. Right. That, that happened for three years. And that's fine, provided you've got an owner who uh, every Monday morning writes out a cheque for £50,000. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, Not there, are, there aren't many other businesses where you can lose £50,000 a week and keep going on there and, and smile and smile when you've won on the saturday as well uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah and that's what you're doing it for how did he have that fifty thousand pounds a week he had that because he ran some other businesses and then those businesses failed right and all of a sudden his his focus was how am i gonna how am i gonna deal with all of this um and he was and he was in a situation because he was unable to pay the bills because he he didn't no longer had the money at this stage along comes Steve Dale, SD2, and he buys the club for a pound. Right. Now, again, the EF, we will talk about the EFL, and they were very defensive about this. To me, as somebody who's not got any economic breaths, surely alarm bells start to ring when somebody buys a club for a pound, don't they? Surely? Somewhere at the EFL, they're going, this is not quite right? Well, that's right. So so what the EFL do at this stage is that they run their, their first fit and proper test the owners and directors test whatever you want to call it and that test says are you a crook do you have any outstanding <laughs> convictions and if you go no no no, no no i wasn't expecting it to be quite as bold as that to be honest but yeah and and, and, and if you and if, if if you satisfy that they say right at this stage we, we're not going to do anything else but what they ask the, the new owner to do is to say okay you just bought the club can you prove that you have the uh you have the funds to run it for the next two or three years. And and Steve, Steve Dale hasn't done that. He's refused to do that. He's refused to, uh, he, he's, he's not provided the EFL with that information. And then six weeks after acquiring the club, we get the first stories of wage bills not being paid. 
Well, why is it not a mechanism that forces him to do that then? Or, or takes the club away from him. This is again. This is, I, I know to you this is going to sound simplistic and not an angry man in public bar, but this is what football fans will be asking. Berry fans will surely be saying, well, "Why would, wasn't he made to do it? Is well, it? Are there no sanctions? Are there no? Are, are there sanctions? Well, we've seen what the sanctions. Well, are. Well, yeah, I mean, to a, a, an individual who refuses to comply with EFL regulations, the, the, the EFL were, were given. Um, they were given a fate accompli. Oh, that, that, okay, right. that the company had been sold to somebody else. Now, that's all to do with English law. Right, okay. And, and, and the EFL cannot override the yeah, law of yeah. the land. Sure, it okay. can say, we, we will not transfer the share to you if you are if you have outstanding convictions. Oh, right, okay. And then it's never been a problem before because every other owner says, hey, I've just bought a football club. Here's the information you want. Sure. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a unique set of circumstances um, and I don't know whether you've seen the, any of the interviews with Steve Dale. He says, well, I've never been to Bury. I didn't even know they had a football club. Mm. And he he initially came in as the saviour. And we've seen that happen to, to many clubs. Yeah. And, and, the, and the reaction of fans when anybody comes in. I, I remember going to Ellen Road the day that Ken Bates acquired Leeds United. Mm. And the Leeds fans, who'd been through an awful lot, they'd been part of this past the parcel of, of debt and, and tragedy from owner to owner to owner. Ken Bates came in and he was grinning from ear to ear. And, you know, and when, you, when Ken Bates acquired, you know, Ken Bates is an is a interesting guy, as we all know. It's in, um, in inverted commas, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and they thought he was their saviour. Well, having said, I understand there was a time in the not-too-distant past when the Gaddafi family were rumoured to be interested in buying Crystal Palace, and I was amazed at the amount of fans who were quite happy at the thought of the Gaddafi family owning Palace if it got us into Europe. No, they weren't particularly bothered by the ramifications of that. But So, I, again, of course I understand why Berry fans would be happy that this guy turns up, and they don't ask too many questions, but it's the EFL that should have been asking the questions. That's right, and to get... I mean, the, the EFL... Is, is not innocent in all of this. But at the same time, it had its set of rules. And that set of rules was, OK, Steve, please now provide us with how you're going to run this club. Do you have the resources? Do you have, do you have the money in the bank? Because it is losing money. Mm. And he said, no, I'm not going to give you that information. And that seemed a bit strange. That was your first reaction. And then the wages stopped being paid. Mm. And that continued on and off. And every time the EFL asked for information, Steve Dale said, I'm not going to give it to you. And what what do you do mm. under those circumstances? Um, you know, the, the, the EFL's own legislation, its own, its own constitution says, well, you've got to do this. And he's just turned around and said, no. OK. Did the EFL give them long enough or give him long enough? Or is there anything else they could have done? Realistically, I, I think not. Yeah, okay. um, what they could have done was that they could have voted to have given Berry an opportunity to reform in League Two next season. Okay, and that vote was taken, and that vote, my understanding is, it was overwhelmingly rejected, um, and that only one team is mm. going to be relegated from League Two. So does does Berry? FC have a legal status now? Does it exist in any shape or form? Or is that gone and it's Phoenix Club time? Well, Berry Football Club Limited continues to exist. Right. It, uh, it is owned by Steve Dale. Um, it has not 
legally you're supposed to send in your accounts for yeah. public scrutiny. It has failed to do that. Um, the government authorities, in theory, they they could sort of try to to have the camp company wound up, but no, but it's not their focus. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think I think the government's got one or two distractions at present. So so Berry Football Club's not going to get involved. The local MP James Frith, he's yes, he's campaigned. Very vocal, yeah. Um, he's he's done all that he can do realistically, but the EFL clubs that they've effectively voted for Berry Football Club to be expelled, and that's it. Now whether they're going to start in the National League or whether they're going to have to go and start at Glorified Park Football in, in the same way as AFC Wimbledon did. That's only, that's so presumably the EFL clubs, to, there was no sympathy. There. It was purely a business decision on their part that this basket case couldn't continue to be. Would there have been clubs going, hang on, this could happen to us. We need to give them a bit of leeway. A bit of... I, I, th- I think there was some sympathy from some clubs. Um, but remember, Berry were promoted from League Two at the end of last season. Mm. Now, there was also resentment. Because if you were the club that had finished seventh and missed out on a playoff yeah, place, okay, and you're saying, well, actually, this was actually caused by uh, SD1 it, allowing these losses to be paid, yes. paying wages yeah, yeah. which can't be sustained. A lot of people were quite angry okay. at Berry being promoted. So they felt, well, hold on, we don't think you should have been promoted from League Two to begin with. So actually putting you back in League Two isn't punishing you at all. So that there's... There was those no, clubs, but also if think about it from the perspective, if you were an owner of a club in League Two, and you're on the bottom half of that table, and two clubs are going to go down, okay, and you potentially could get get kicked out of the the football league, you get relegated, you, you don't get any money from the Premier League anymore, you're not part of the EFL TV deal, sure. you, you get a little bit of parachute payments, and sure. and you're playing, you're playing clubs who've you never heard of. Um, if if you can reduce that number of relegated clubs from two to one, what are you going to do? What are your fans going to do on the on the local phone ends? So they, they're going to say, "Oh, okay, be, be magnanimous here." Yeah, if we get relegated, you know, if people people act not in the greater interests of the game. We all become self interest motivated. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. If you or I had owned a club, who if we yeah, were in the bottom, what, what would you have done? How would you have voted? It, it, it's depressing though, because you'd like to think that fans would see the bigger picture and understand. <laughs> my, it's it's my favourite stat of the week that um, Berry have won an away game more recently than Man United, and they no longer exist. Mm-hmm. There's no consolation for Berry fans. So we know what's happened to the club. Um, I will I will use the word tragedy and disaster because as a football fan, I think it is. What's going to happen to SD2? I mean, is there any sanction? Does he just carry on on his merry way and sleeps happily at night despite what happened to the club? Well, if, if you look at uh, his his public comments, he, he does appear to be unfazed by this. Um, he, he instigated this thing called a creditor's voluntary arrangement. Yeah. Um, I won't get too bogged down in the detail there, but there were lots of strange numbers and strange debts flying left, right and centre. Um, it's also a way a lot of chain, shop chains have, are able to lose individual shops rather than going bankrupt themselves, isn't it? So it's, yeah. it's, it's playing the, the game, isn't it? Yes, and you, you, can, you can make a, a moral judgment on it, but, but legally it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vehicle for, for arranging the company yeah. in a way you want to do so, whilst he still keeps control. Because people say, well, 
why didn't somebody put the club into administration? If you put a club into administration, all of a sudden, the owner loses all the power. And that gets transferred to, and this is what would have happened, you, know, you, you talk about what happened with Palace, with, with Mark Goldberg and yeah, Simon. You know, they, they lost control of the club when the administrators came in. Steve Dale is still running Berry Football Club on a day-to-day basis. Now, it's got no staff. It does have a stadium. It does have a car park. What's going to happen? Now, I'd, I'd like to think that the answer to this question is no. But will he be able to buy another football club? Yes. Holy mother, really? Yeah. Well, not whilst he owns Berry. Right, but... Is, well, too much, I do want to move on to a more light-hearted story before we end, but there's, there's two things I would like to ask you. And the first goes back to my romantic view of football. I don't understand why, in a game that has financial problems, you, you've already begun to explain that to my shock, especially that I can't get over that championship figure. But there is a lot of money in football, in the Premier League in particular. I've never understood why there can't be some kind of benevolent fund whereby clubs, Premier League clubs especially, are forced to donate 1% of their, their annual turnover into a pot. And if a club is in a situation like this, the EFL, the Premier League, whoever, will step in and say, for at least six months, we'll use that money to keep the club going and we'll try and find an owner. And then if we can't at the end of that, then unfortunately economic nature will have to take its course. But I suspect, by the way you're looking at me, that that's, it is a, a, a complete romantic pie-in-the-sky idea. Is, has, it, has no one ever considered this this type of thing? I, I think it has been considered, because what you're effectively saying is, is similar to what we've seen with Thomas Cook, with Abter and Atoll. So the, so the industry effectively pays uh, pays a contribution. The reason why the clubs are unwilling to do that, because... I think the Premier League feel, um, and, and you know, let's face it, the Premier League's an easy target. It does give a lot of money to the lower uh, leagues. Uh, yes, I understand. It does a lot. And its its view was that's simply going to encourage more gambling. So you'll get people coming oh, in, okay. running clubs, right, and they'll know that if we run the club badly and we don't get promoted or we don't manage to sell it at profit, we can just walk away and the rest of the football industry is going to pick up the tab. Oh, so that's the view which is taken. Um, you don't get you don't get Tesco's supporting local shops enough, yeah. who who are being destroyed because of what's yeah. happening on the high street, which is, well I would say is a shame basically. But and there was some there was some criticism of the Neville brothers um, who have a very strong affinity with Berry. Their mother was secretary there for for decades, and their father has got a stand named after them. And now. They're involved in another football club, so I understand why they couldn't directly help the club. But would there, was there a way that they could have done that? Was a wealthy benefactor the only way out of that problem for Berry? Realistically, yes. You needed somebody to come in and clear some of those debts, and that would have allowed the club to continue. Now, my understanding, um, and I did have some involvement with some of the prospective buyers over the summer. We, we did, we did oh, one oh, or two chats. Okay. Um, How far did they go? They 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 spent plenty of money on lawyers' fees and right. investigation fees. Was that nobody exactly knew what they were buying because there were various mortgages outstanding. Oh, mortgage over the stadium, mortgage over parts of the car park. Oh, um, parts of the car park? Parts of the car park had been set out for this this very strange scheme. 
Um, so it was, it was all starting to get very complicated. If, if you or I were buying a house, we'd like to know what we're buying. Mm. So, you know, does it... Is, is the garden well, you, included? Yeah, we, you, that, you that's would. what. I just look at it and go, that looks nice. Don't worry about the checks. That's fine. <laughs> Mrs. Day would be the, be, the, be the one doing all the checking. I'm um, very, I told you, I'm very romantic about these things. So, so parts I think, of the car. I don't. Again, it's back to my initial. I, I am going to spend a lot of time in this podcast. Then just say that again, because I can't believe what you're telling me. So parts of the car park were mortgaged separately as part of what, what was the strange scheme? Um, what was what they tried to do was to effectively sell individual car park spaces. This was an SD1 scheme. Okay. Individual car park spaces to investors, and the money they got from people parking the car there was then paid back to the investors. Well, and no, that all, no, no one's getting rich that way, are No, they? not in Bury. <laughs> well, no, fair point. And that's, uh, that's not flippant, is it? That's no. a town that's economically distressed. That's... Um, how do we... How do we stop it? Well, the other thing that just occurred to me as well is the, the fact that I was most bemused about was that well, there, there was a perspective by a right at the very end who then said they couldn't do anything over the weekend because their lawyer wasn't back at work till the Tuesday and it was a bank holiday, which, at which stage it became a kind of ealing comedy because surely even I thought, if, well, if they're serious about this, they would get the lawyer back. So there are phones and emails, aren't there? And, and if you pay the lawyers enough money? Of course, they're, they're well, prepared never, to work overtime. There's never enough money for lawyers to be paid, but it's it, how it's so frustrating. I understand how Berry fans feel because, as a Palace fan, and there are fans of other clubs who have seen this situation, you see it unfold, you see it step by step happening, and you think there are grown-ups in charge of this. It will be fine, and then suddenly it isn't. How do other clubs stop? this happening to them or is it simply impossible are we looking at a sad inevitability that football clubs won't look after each other that football won't look after its own and that this is not the first club that's going to go down this route or is this the wake-up call that 91 other football clubs need well i think you've got to ask who who is running football so presently we've got the government which devolves it and, and that's fine I, I don't think government should really get involved directly in the running of football We've got the FA who have washed their hands of professional football. They they just want to do the England team and they want to do some grassroots and they want to pick up their sponsors. The FA don't really want to get involved. That's a pretty big statement. Well, what, what what have the FA done in terms of Bury? What have the FA done in terms of Macclesfield Town, who mm. who are who are presently being sued by their own players for non-payment of wages? But there there will be lots of people listening to this pod, I guarantee. It's not going to take long for word to get around about this pod. And people are going, at last, there's somewhere we can find out about this bemusing stuff. But for, if I was listening to this at home and I suddenly heard you say the FA have pretty much washed their hands of league football, I'd be astonished. Well, the FA run the FA Cup. Now, all the FA could do is to say to all clubs, if you want to play in our competition next season, if you fail to pay wages you're going to get kicked out of next year's FA Cup. If you fail to submit your accounts on time, exactly the same happens. If you fail to let the EFL or our own inspectors go in to because we are concerned about you, because you've got, a, you've got a county court judgment or something, then perhaps we would have more of a reaction from clubs themselves because you know, the, the FA Cup, whilst it has been diminished in many regards... It's still something that, especially if you're a lower league fan and a lower league owner, you get quite excited about because you're hoping to get an away fixture at Old Trafford. Well, we saw a club kicked out of the FA Cup 
this week, didn't we, in, in Grays for what... To, to mo- it's like VAR. It, you know, it was technically wrong. It was a, a player whose registration wasn't wasn't correct, but who had played for other clubs. They're out of the FA Cup. What sort of financial impact could that have on them? So, being knocked out of the FA Cup, how much of an impact would that have? I, I think it, it was around about six and a half thousand pounds for for Grace that they they potentially have lost because they, they won't be able to go forward. Uh, they were knocked out, or rather, they I think they won. Was it the, the first qualifying round? If you're if you're successful in the second qualifying round, um, it's six thousand seven hundred and fifty quid. So so they've lost access to that now for for a club which is just beyond park football. You know, it's got a nice little stand and so yeah. on. That's a lot of money. Um, so it does seem to be um pretty harsh but but the fa are are quite good at applying rules which are black and white um where you you move into things which are a lot grayer and this is where we get the accountants and the lawyers arguing the point you think about what happened at qpr Q, the qpr uh, resolution took four years mm. um if the fa can say he's not registered and you're out but then you've got liverpool having an ineligible player in the in the Carabao Cup yeah. uh, two weeks ago, and they've just been fine. So so it appears to be there's there's an inconsistency in the, in the way that football is being run, because well, we've got been, the FA, yeah. Premier League, and the EFL, and they're all running themselves slightly differently. I mean, the Liverpool fine thing is ludicrous because it's it's they're not even going to notice it. It's five pound down the back of the sofa that they've lost essentially, isn't it? So the FA can't get involved. So how do other clubs stop this happening then? Do other clubs want to stop this happening? Because who who no, makes to, them, to themselves? I mean, how the clubs that are out there in financial trouble, that are frightened by what happened to Berry, what do they do? What do each club do? Can the fans help in any way? I know some clubs like Exeter are owned by fans, but is there any way that fans can get involved to can nudge their owners to say, look, this could happen to us? Well, I think one of the things we can do as fans is is to be a bit more realistic in terms of our ambition. Because right. if if a club loses three three or four matches on on the trot, you get people on social media, you get people on the phone ins writing to new, local newspapers saying speculate to accumulate. Yeah. yeah. Now that to me is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You know, I, I don't at the end of each month, and I'm sure you don't do the same. So I don't go home to to Mrs M and say, uh, I'm "Not paying the mortgage this month. Everything's going on scratch cards." Well, I would never assume. <laughs> anything economically sensible about me. There will be things that you will find out about my finances over this pod that will probably astonish you. But never mind. I'm, I'm the, that's why economics is a grey area to me, which is why I'm so interested in, in this. And it's, it's, it's a shame, isn't it, that, it, that the only thing that fans can do is to, is to rein in their expectations. Because as you were right back to where we started with the championship, because that's the, the, the worst... Offender, isn't it? Those, those clubs. It is, but it's also the most exciting division in in English football. Yeah, so you sound like Sky now as well. So, it was, is your is your instinct then? Is, is your cold, hard, dispassionate instinct that this is a one-off, Berry, or do you think we're seeing a kind of Darwinian coming to the senses that the the more weaker clubs will go to the wall and the the, the, the football league will become smaller but you know, more viable? That there is there is the potential this season for us to lose one or two more clubs at that level or higher at at League One and League Two level. I don't think anything will happen in the Championship. I mean, Bolton were 
they were at 11.59 p.m. Yep. You know, you, yeah. you, I appreciate what you said in respect of Palace. Yep. Similar thing happened to Villa two years yep. ago. Um, you know, but football is, is incredibly resilient because they're because it has this unique part, as you were saying, as part of working class culture. Yeah. People want to come in. People don't want to see Bury destroyed or other clubs who have got similar problems um, in in those lower leagues. But some clubs are are really close to the edge at present. That's distressing too. I mean, Bolton is the salutary lesson to all of us. It's not that long ago I was visiting Bolton as part of Match of the Day 2. They were flourishing in the Premier League. Seemed to be a very well-run club, really nice stadium, attracting players of the likes of a culture that you wouldn't expect. And now suddenly, as you say, very, very near extinction. And you kind of think, if it can happen to a club like Bolton, ostensibly a success story, there's no, it's probably only Man City and Liverpool that are free from from sleepless nights. I think I think that's, that's a fair comment, but but you said yeah, um, Jorge Evacocha, uh, Nicholas Anelka, they were fantastic players for Bolton. How how is the club affording them? Mm. Bolton's losses were 189 million pounds by the time we got to 2016. That that been the, the losses which had been accumulated during the time they were in the Premier League and since then. I'm having uh, another eyebrows moment. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Say that again. They they accumulated much? total losses of 189 million pounds. And the, and they had a great owner. They had a guy called Eddie Davis who says, "Yeah, yeah, we don't care. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. Uh, I live in the Isle of Man. I've made my fortune from selling uh, parts for kettles." Wow. Um, and uh, he was he was he's the world's major kettle kettle component uh, manufacturer, and he just ploughed all of the money into the club. But so a Blackburn situation essentially with Eddie Wal- with Jack Walker. Jack Walker, yeah. yeah. But he then started to a failing health and also he was getting old. And when Bolton were relegated, the fans started to give him a bit of stick. And he's going, well, hold on. I've stuck, a, I've stuck over £150 million into this club and you're now giving me stick. He'd, he'd run the club beyond its means. Yeah, he'd been losing money every week. And when he stopped, Dean Holdsworth and Ken Anderson came in. All of a sudden, Bolton Wanderers... They're borrowing money from strange banks at 25% a year. You've got Ken Anderson, the owner, paying himself half a million pounds a year as a consultant to the club. You've got his son being employed as a consultant on the club on a six-figure sum as well. Things started to go strange. Could Could the EFL or could the FA have done something more there? Because if you've got a person who've who's previously been banned from being a director of any company in the UK for eight years, why do they say, yeah, just come along and take over our club? I, I'm going to wrap things up in a moment because, frankly, my eyebrows are getting tired because they've been up and down so often. And I think people listening to this at home need a bit of time to, to, to reflect on what we're hearing. And this is what's going to happen week in, week out, because I, I've just realised how naive and romantic about football I actually, I actually am. But I, I want to end on a lighter story, but it touches on something you just mentioned. Most people, if you talk to them about football finances, will immediately say players' wages, players are paid too much. But we saw a rather bizarre advert this week popped up on a, a, an employment opportunities website, amongst other, literally like a postcard in a shop window offering gardening and haircutting services, and it was for an unnamed club who said they were recently in the Premier League and were now looking to consolidate themselves in, in League One. There's been a lot of speculation. I 
I don't think we should say out loud who we think it is. But basically, they put an advert in for a striker, and it said this striker should have experience in championship football. It should he should be physical. Should be able to hold the ball up. Um, I'm doing a TV show with Peter Crouch at the moment, and we happened to see, see this advert yesterday, and we were laughing about it, especially some of the spelling. But Crouch was laughing about the fact that he actually qualified for this position. Uh, for, you know, he's a you know, championship experience, he's a big, strong player, can hold the ball up. And then he looked at the wages, and he jokingly said, "Well, that's I'm not going to read any further because they were offering a salary of forty-five thousand to fifty thousand pound a year." Now it says something for all of us that we all initially thought that must mean a week but we're talking about a player being asked to come to a club for £50,000 a year that will run contrary to what most people think about players wages because I think most people think that even outside the Premier League players are on a pretty hefty way and most people will think that the big problem with football clubs financially is players wages and in particular relegated teams who have got players that contract to Premier League wages but is that advert unusual? Is this a club with no money that's pushing its luck? Or generally outside the Premier League, are players paid the sort of money that a lot of people listening to this would would get? Um, if you look at the Championship, Championship wages are, are out of control, as, as I mentioned to you to earlier. Um, you've got clubs in the Championship who... Uh, at the top end who are not even receiving parachute payments where where the average wage is twenty to twenty five thousand pounds a week wow so that's that's quite considerable at the same time you've got clubs at the bottom of the championship and realistically you know, we're talking about the clubs such as Millwall and Barnsley and so on who will be on a fraction of that drop down to League one, which is where where we're looking at here and and th- there is there is a big gap because you've got Sunderland and Ipswich who are Clubs sort of get decent crowds, and also in the case of Sunderland, they're in the receipt of parachute payments for their last time um, this year. They they will be they will have big wage budgets, but you've also got Accrington Stanley, you've got Rochdale, and so on, and the players there will be on you know, the average will be between um, you know a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds a week for the bottom third of League One. And then that will be broadly similar in uh, in League Two, where perhaps the clubs at the top, two to three thousand pounds a week. That, that, that's still a hundred. You know, that's still a six figure income. Um, but you're normally talking about players on one and two year contracts. And if you actually talk to players themselves, if you're on a one year contract and you're earning seventy thousand pounds in a League Two club, and it's April and you're going in for a fifty fifty, mm. and you've got a mortgage. All of a sudden, you start thinking twice, and and, and so um, the wages in 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 the bottom two divisions they they do drop uh, quite considerably. Um, the, the as we know, the Premier League the average is around about fifty. In in the Championship, it's going to be around about yeah, about a quarter of that, and then there'll be another big drop in in League One, and League Two. Well, do you know what, Kieran? I, I I'm looking forward to continue in this conversation on a weekly basis, but also part of me is dreading it to an extent because already I'm learning things that are horrifying me. And it's I think people listening at home, I hope they will have been entertained by this, but also I think they will be going down the pub and saying to their mates, you really need to listen to this because it turns out we generally don't know anything about football finances and, and the way it works. So this has been The Price of Football. Uh, I'm Kevin Day. Uh, Kieran Maguire has been enlightening us. If you have questions for us, because as the weeks go by, this pod will be based on your questions. 
and I'm guessing a lot of them are going to be a lot of them are going to be saying, "Can you say that again? What? How much?" Um, questions at priceoffootball.com, and we look forward to your company next week. Thank you very much. This is Acast recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher or find us at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.